0: Hello, and welcome to the Dow of June, Living an Inspired Life. I w- I'm driving up to Tennessee right now, Hendersonville, Tennessee. Uh, it's about four-hour drive from where I live in Atlanta. And I was listening to, just to pass the time, I was listening to uh, Gary V, Gary Vaynerchuk. And I know he's kind of a polarizing figure. Some people really like him, some people really dislike him. Uh, sometimes he's a, little, he's a little rough around the edges you know he's a little bit abrasive sometimes um, his language is questionable <laughs> but he makes a lot of good points and a lot of the things that he was he was saying in the Q&A session that he was doing in Brisbane Australia um, it really inspired some thoughts that I wanted to share one of them is about how important it is to love what you do and he kept stressing that you know multiple times several people were asking different questions and he was like it goes back to loving the process you know if the end game is to try to build a business to sell it then you're already you're already in you know going down the wrong way because um it's it's full of frustration and challenges and difficult no matter what business you're in, it's hard work, and if you're not in love with it, then it's all for nothing. He's saying, "Who cares about the money, right?" <clears throat> I mean, yeah, you get a lot of money, but then what? You know, like how many how many more meals can you eat in a day? And a lot of times, when you get money by doing work that is unfulfilling, the money itself feels unfulfilling as well and money comes and goes. There's several people in history where you can look up, for examples, who have made millions and lost even more. Ended up even worse off than they were before they made the millions. So, money is not always. Money is not the end game. Money is not the goal to make money. Of course, it's important, you know, to earn enough income so you can keep, you can stay in the game, right, as uh, Gary Vee would say. And, um, who is Seth Godin, he was saying the goal is to make enough, earn enough income from the work, the service that you do, that you provide, to be able to continue doing it the next day, right? But the thing, the real goal is to find work that matters to you, find work that, really, that you really love doing, because that will get you through all of the tough times. And that's really the meaning of life, right? It's to, it's to do work that you are in love with. Because no matter what you choose to do, it is hard. It's hard work. But if you don't love it, then that, that becomes torture. It becomes like hell. <clears throat> and I get a lot of emails from newer groomers. Um, sometimes it's their parents uh, reaching out to me. Uh, but most recently... Uh, I actually got a phone call Well, I I got an email And then we scheduled a phone call And I talked to this gentleman Who has gone through several different careers Different, you know, jobs um, And now he's considering being a dog groomer And there's a school It's a two-week course for $3,000 And I was like, oh my god I I talked him out of it I was like, what could you possibly learn In two weeks that would be worth $3,000 Right? Especially with dog grooming and I was telling him, I, I honestly don't see the value in it, you know, that much money. I can understand if it was $800 for two weeks, yeah, fine, you know, you'll get some basic understanding about dog grooming. But for $3,000, for me, I just couldn't, I couldn't connect the value and the cost for what he was, you know, I just didn't, I just didn't, in my opinion... There was no possible way that he was going to get three thousand dollars worth of value in just two weeks to learn how to groom dogs. And I gave him the example of when I went out to California to help a mobile groomer. Um, I spent a week, five days, and she paid me a thousand dollars. And I, 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 actually told her, no, I, I don't need that much, you know, for five days. And then, but she already paid me. She paypal it to me. And the thing is, when I went there, by day three, I was panicking. And I was even thinking, like, I need to refund her money because, you know, I thought I could do it. I thought I could teach her how to groom dogs, but there's just, it's just too much to learn and it it is very difficult work. Um, I remember it took me about six months just to get over the fear of putting scissors to a dog, you know, and I was just... Scissoring around their feet and their face. I wasn't doing any technical, you know, trims or anything, any breed cuts. No, I was just helping to prep the dog sometimes, and a lot of times I would be finishing like uh, Cavaliers because the shop that I started at they did a lot of uh, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels, and they have long ears. So I would I would actually after the bath, a lot of times it was just a bath and a and a just a they called it a bath and neaten. Uh, but a bath and a smile like a light trim up, and we would just shape up the ears a little bit and make an even line on the bottom of the ears and scissor their feet round and, th- and then that was it. And, and to maybe tidy up their tail a little bit and also hand strip in between the eyes. So I guess a, a little bit more work. but I would finish those dogs um, as a bather, and I remember just the anxiety I would feel. Putting the scissors to the dogs and cutting their hair, and every snip I took, I'd be like second guessing myself. Oh, is that right? <clears throat> and it took about six months where I got over that. And when I, I would come to work and just feel like, yeah, I got this. You know, it just it feels it was my new normal. And so yeah, I mean the thing is, I've been doing this for about nine years now, almost ten. Um, January would be my ten year mark when I actually officially became a groomer. Um, a hair like hairstylist for dogs, not just a bather, <clears throat> but it's still difficult. The work never gets easier. And it, it, you know, you just get better. And I really, I actually appreciate the fact that it is so difficult. The other, just yesterday when I did the two Bichons, it took me three and a half hours on each dog because the first hour, hour and a half was spent just combing them out, just getting a comb through them because. You would put the comb in their coat and it would not budge, you know? And it takes a lot of effort and a lot of physical labor and time because you don't want to just yank at it and hurt the dog. You have to work at it and and hold the hair at the base of the skin, hold it tight so that the skin doesn't get pulled too much. It doesn't cause too much pain for the dog. And you're just working these tangles out of the coat all throughout their entire body. Thing is, even though you get their coat like down one leg, you work on the other leg, go back to the leg that you've already combed out and you'll find more tangles. It's just that way because these dogs have mill- trillions of hair follicles and hairs, you know, hair fibers and some, a lot of them are old and, and dead and frizzy, frizzy and they're, you know, they just, it's like Velcro. Even though you comb through them and get them all separated, they just start to track to- together and just tangle up again. Even though the dog's just standing there on your table. And so it takes multiple, even after I got them all combed out, and it took about a little over an hour, even though I got them all combed out, in the tub, while I'm giving them a shower, in the shower, while I'm giving them a bath, I would still get more dead hair. Clumps of hair would just keep coming out, you know? And, and you would see it on the, on the shower drain. It just, you know, collects together there. It's like, wow, more hair is coming out? Even after all the dead hair I combed out before the bath? And then after the bath, and when, when I'm drying them and combing them and fluffing them out while I'm while I'm drying them, more hair comes out. You know, and then after the groom even, after the haircut is done, then I go through with the undercoat rake. Not to do like a full out carding or anything, but just to even out the coat by getting a lot of those dead, loose, old hairs out that are still there, even after all of the combing. And it's a lot of physical labor. It's a, It's a lot of work. It's difficult. Not just that, but you have to now factor in the uh, the dogs behavior because the dogs are unpredictable they're not standing still for you it's not like cutting, cutting human hair where you say hey, can you tilt your head for me or could you put your head down or look this way uh, usually a human being will do it you know they're very accommodating when you give them a haircut because they they volunteered for it they know that they're getting a haircut and they asked for it, they're paying for it these dogs it's not coming out of their pocket <laughs> You know, and they did not volunteer for this they don't they don't they didn't know when they woke up that morning that they were going to get a haircut, and <clears throat> they probably don't even want a haircut they don't want a bath they don't want to get brushed they don't care you know it's more for the owners, you know because the owners want the dogs to look nice and smell nice and be clean dogs i mean, I think they could care less until it gets to the point where it's bothering them and they're itchy and uncomfortable, even then they don't really want you messing with them and combing them out and brushing them out and all that. Because at that point, it hurts. They're already in pain. Their skin is already compromised, and it's already uncomfortable. So then when you start brushing them and trying to work all of this stuff out of their skin, it's causing them more irritation and pain, and they'll react. And sometimes they bite, sometimes they snap, sometimes they just roll around and and hide their legs, and you know, or they'll put their head in the way and try to stop you from doing what you're doing because these dogs are alive and they're they're sentient beings they have consciousness maybe not as high a level of consciousness as us but definitely higher level consciousness than a chicken especially more higher level consciousness than an insect an ant these dogs have feelings and thoughts and opinions especially about what's happening to their own body you're invading their private space and I was telling this gentleman on the phone, <clears throat> these are all things you have to consider. Grooming is not easy. It's none of, nothing about grooming is meant to be easy. I was telling him the, the reason why it's so difficult is because it's meant to be rewarding. You know, I feel so proud of myself after every groom, because every single groom <clears throat> there, there's a huge risk of failure there's a huge risk of accidentally cutting the dog of accidentally, yeah, making a mistake and when you make a mistake and you have scissors and sharp objects around the dog, a moving living being that sometimes moves unpredictably uh, there is a very high risk factor, there's a very high chance that you may stab the dog by accident, nick their skin cause a cut or you know, you'll see blood and it's been a while now, knock on wood, wood, I'll just knock on my head (laughs) because I'm thick-headed, but yeah, I mean, it's been a while since I actually had an accident like that, but trust me, when it comes to grooming dogs, it's not a question of if you're ever going to cut a dog by accident, it's a question of when and how bad, to what degree, you know, because I've had had uh, two dogs that had to go see a vet and get stitched up because of a really bad accident accidental snip and it's just it happens so quick in one moment you know and it usually is not even the groomer's fault i mean of course it's the groomer's fault they're the one with scissors in their hands you know going after the dog but a lot of times it's because the dog zigged when when the groomer zagged and there was really no way to predict that the dog was going to move like that that quickly that unpredictably you know like so sometimes it's just it's you know but here's the thing. For me, grooming, when I groom a dog and I am, I'm at work, I feel alive, seriously, it is the most fun that, you know, like, I I don't even consider it a job, I don't even consider it work. For me, I am having fun, I'm being creative, I'm, I'm creating something, you know, and I'm working on a living, moving canvas and creating a work of art to be enjoyed by my clients. And creating these moments of happiness and joy. You should hear how they erupt sometimes. Like, oh my God, you look me! One of my clients, actually, her husband came while I was cleaning up in, the rest, in their bathroom where I was working. <clears throat> and this bathroom is huge. But anyways, um, one of my clients, he came while I was uh, cleaning up and sweeping up and everything. He was like, oh my God, she, my wife is so happy she's crying. You know, she has tears in her eyes, you know, and, and like... It just made me feel so incredibly rewarded, so happy and fulfilled that the work that I put in, the work that I did with my two hands, created such a moment of joy and happiness for them that tears came to her eyes. For me, that's wow. That is the that is what an artist strives for to 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 touch someone like that, to move someone to tears. You know, um, Robin Sharma says, "What let your work work in a, in a way where when people watch you work, tears come to their eyes, the way tears would come to your eyes when, when you look up at the Sistine Chapel, let it move them, and that's exactly how I felt, I was like, oh my God, this is the best feeling in the world, and I enjoy the work, but let's say I didn't. It would be torture. Are you kidding me? The hours of sweat it takes to get them all combed out and washed properly, thoroughly, and then dried completely and fluffed out nice, and then to do the haircut after all of that when you're already kind of tired and your muscles are kind of spent. And th- that's why these days I've been taking um, exercise more seriously, going to the gym and strengthening my muscles, because now it's not so bad. But I. Before I was working out and making exercise a regular part of my day, I, when it came time for the haircut, my muscles were burning, my arms were like already spent, and I would literally have to like, you know, really push myself and, and use all my energy to finish the haircut after my, my muscles were already spent, you know? And then on the drive home, I would be fighting sleep because I'd be my, my body would just be so exhausted because of all the energy that I spent grooming the dogs. I would I would literally start fighting sleep and slapping myself to try to stay awake on the drive home. <clears throat> but now that I've been exercising and my my muscles are stronger, I've been eating better. Because uh, one thing that one of the guys at the gym told me that really helped is you'll never outwork a bad diet. I really liked that, and it made a lot of sense. You'll never outwork a bad diet. He was saying, diet is more important than the actual exercise. So I started eating better, and now I actually, it doesn't bother me. It's really weird. It's like, wow, I I really, when it comes time for the haircut, my arms are not burning and completely, I'm I'm not exhausted, you know? It's like, yeah, shoot, let's do this haircut. This is the easy part, you know? I've already done all the hard part, getting the dog all combed out and detangled and, you know? ready for the haircut now when it's time for the haircut I'm like whistling and singing you know that's like the that's the creative artistic part for me is the haircut styling the dog shaping sculpting them um, but the grunt work you know all of the laborious tedious hard difficult work is before the haircut getting the dog dog's coat prepared properly so that I can do a nice haircut <clears throat> but why am I going on this rant? It's because when I, was, when I was younger, I went through a lot of different jobs. A lot of physical jobs. I've had a lot of physically demanding jobs before. But none of them were as rewarding as this job. The, the work that I do now, I don't even consider it a job. My craft, my art, the art that I choose to do now, it's more physically demanding than any of the jobs I've ever had that were physically demanding. However... It's much more rewarding. Why? Because I love the work that I do now. I love it. It's my passion. I would do it even if I wasn't getting paid. Oh my God, yesterday, uh, my client, when she handed me the check, she was like, Are we paying you enough? And I was like, What? I was like, You're paying me almost double what I'm charging. You know, I was like, You're paying me more than I'm charging, you're paying me more than enough. And she was like, I know, but you just do so much and, you know, I just want to make sure we're paying you enough. I was like, what? Of course you are. But that's the thing. It's like, I've never gotten this kind of rewarding feeling. I've never felt so valued and appreciated in all the other jobs I've ever done, no matter how physically taxing they were. For example, when I was 20, when I was 20, 21 years old, I was working at a liquor store um 19 19 20. anyways i was working at a liquor store and yeah i was actually i was 20 21 years old yeah anyways i it was it was really tough work stocking the liquor store doing the displays and the shelves because these bottles are heavy and a lot of these cases have 12 the bigger bottles come in cases of six but these these boxes filled with these liquor bottles are very heavy especially when you move like a hundred of them in a day oh my god it was so laborious I mean physical exhaustion at the end of the day every single day especially the day on Wednesdays I believe we, we would get the shipments in and oh my god like putting stocking all the inventory that would come in on those days Oh my goodness, it was really really tough work, but no one ever I've never moved anyone to tears, you know doing that work even on the weekends when I would be loading these huge heavy kegs of, You know these beer kegs for we were near a college So a lot of a lot of the frats and you know, there would be a lot of parties on the weekends and they would buy these kegs and loading these kegs up into their trucks or into their car the trunk of their cars That was part of my job. I mean, it was so heavy and so tough and I I would really have to use my back muscles and my legs to lift up these heavy kegs. I've never had anyone stop me and say, hey, by the way, I really appreciate you, how hard you're working, (laughs) you know? Like, thank you so much for loading these heavy kegs into our truck. No, nobody, nobody ever thanked me or anything. Why? Probably because I just, for me, it was just a job. It was just a way to get paid. You know, and the thing is, it wasn't even like I was getting paid a lot, either. I was only making enough to cover my expenses, really. I mean, maybe a little extra, so I could buy some alcohol for the weekend for myself, and you know, go out and have some fun with my friends. But then that's it, and, you know, I have to go right back to work, you know, to make enough money to cover my expenses, and that was about it, you know, it's like, but here's Here's why I like to give that example of my liquor store experience Even though I worked hard, really hard And nobody really appreciated what I was doing And how hard I was working Um, I mean, I got cussed out by my boss He was a horrible boss But anyways um, Later on, let's fast forward, right? Uh, About 10, maybe 8 8 to 10 years later I believe it was Because I was like 28, 29 at the time so I'm going to a liquor store to buy a bottle of scotch for a friend of mine for a Christmas present. Because, um, you know, I, I, heard, I heard that he likes scotch. Uh, he he kind of mentioned it in passing. And he was saying that he, he likes um, McClellan. No, he likes Glenn Levitt better than Macallan, And even though Macallan is more expensive, um, the Glenn Levitt, he, uh, he enjoys the taste better. So I was going in to get a bottle of Glenn Levitt. And the gentleman working there, um, one of the, uh, I guess he was an employee there, um, he, he asked me, uh, so you like Glen Levitt? And I was like, oh, I don't really even like scotch. You know, I was like, I don't like the taste. You know, I'm more of a rum guy because it's sweet uh, or bourbon because it tastes sweeter. But I told him, I don't really like scotch, the peatiness, you know, like the earthy kind of flavor. And I was like, you know, I, I, it's for a friend. And he was like, Well, you know why they why it tastes like that, right? And I was like, No, I didn't. This guy starts breaking down the history of scotch and why and why he he believes he sees it as an art. He's like, it's art in a bottle, every single bottle. And he was saying that the highlands, the lowlands, Eastlake, all these regions of of Scotland are where these uh you know, where the scotch comes from. He's saying every single uh area you know of all these different areas of scotland uh they all produce a different tasting scotch because of the water the water is different in each area the lowlands the highlands you know islay and all this <clears throat> but he was saying that um also the the peat, or you know like the the stuff that they use like the grass you know and the the taste of the earth and he was he was saying how they have to be aged for you know 12 years at least you know like and, you know, just he was even saying that each bottle tastes different. He was saying you can buy two bottles of Macallan or Glen Levitt, and when you, when you pop it open, each bottle, the, even though it's the same brand, each bottle has its own unique flavor. And he was like, because each, they're all unique, and, and the, the flavors change based on the cask it's in, and all this stuff. And I was just like, wow. I was fascinated and he turned me into a scotch drinker you know it's like wow now I I like scotch and I like to look for the different you know distinct flavors in each bottle now because of what he taught me another time I went to a liquor store to get some beer to take over to a friend's house because we were meeting them and the guy working the beer section, he asked me what I'm looking for, and I told him, yeah, I'm just looking for something different, I'm tired of the old Bud Light, Coors Light, and he was like, oh, okay, let me show you some craft beer, and, you know, so he's he's telling me about all these different craft beers and how it's made, and um, he, you know, we, we touched, he touched on a IPA, Indian Pale Ale, and I was like, oh, man, I hate that Indian Pale Ale, I was like, it tastes like piss, you know, it's so bitter, I hate it, I was like, why would anyone drink that, and <clears throat> he goes, you know why it's, why you know why it tastes like that, right, and I was like, I mean, the hops, I guess. And he was like, yeah, but you know why they use hops in the Indian pale ale? And I was like, no. So this guy goes into a history lesson, you know? And he was telling me how um, it's called Indian pale ale because uh, when the sailors, you know, when they would um, sail their ships from England to, from Europe, you know, to India, you know, when they were colonizing India, the beer would go bad on the trip. While they were sailing from Europe to India, along the way, the beer would go bad and they would have to toss it and it would make the, you know, it would make the sailor sick. So they, they found out that they can preserve the beer by adding hops to it and the hoppy flavor, that bitterness, um, they, they learned to enjoy it. its an educated taste because, um, the, it's a natural preservative. And by adding the hops, the beer would stay good. You know, it would keep for the whole trip. And they could even drink it there in India as well. And that's why it it, it got its name, India Pale Ale and IPAs, right? And I was like, whoa, what? And then he started telling me about the the B-U, you you know, percentage, like how bitter it is and everything. And, you know, each one has its own bitter levels of bitterness. And and then he, he said something that really fascinated me. He was like, IPAs are the only beers that don't have artificial preservatives in them because the hops are natural preservatives. And I was like, ooh, what? He was like, yeah, so, it, I mean, if you can, he was like, if there is such a thing as healthy beer, you know, because, you know, there's no healthy beer, but he was saying, if you are going to drink beer, uh, then you don't want to drink artificial preservatives, because every beer has to have preservatives in it, you know, otherwise it'll spoil. So he was explaining that hop, IPAs are the only beer that have natural preservatives in them because of the hops, and they don't have to use artificial preser- preservatives to keep the beer. Uh, and I was like, oh my goodness, really? And so then I started to drink IPAs. He turned me into an IPA drinker. Now I only drink scotch and IPA. <laughs> um, but, And I told both of them how, how much I appreciated their the sharing their knowledge. And, you know, like I, I really, I was moved to tears. You know, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't cry or get emotional, but I really was excited. And I was like, wow, thank you so much for sharing this. I really appreciate it. Those two guys, they weren't just liquor store stalkers like I was. I didn't know all this. I didn't care. I was just there to make a paycheck, you know, and it was just one of the jobs that was available. So I didn't care about all that. I just, I was just doing the work, the hard work, and working hard. But working hard is not enough. Working hard is a given. No matter what you choose to do in life, it's going to require hard work. I hate to break it to you. But everything requires hard work, even if you're sitting in an office all day long just pushing paper, that still requires, it's, it's hard work to do that, to discipline your, your mind and your body to sit there at a desk, you know, for eight, nine hours a day, sometimes working overtime, pushing paper, you know, looking at all these numbers and crunching numbers or whatever it is you do, filing away stuff. For me, that's extremely hard work. That would be extremely difficult for me to find the motivation to do that every day. Okay, so anything you choose to do, even if it's not physical labor and it's not physically hard work, it's going to be mentally challenging, emotionally challenging. No matter what you do, choose to do in life, it's all hard work. It's all going to require hard work, so that's a given. But I realize hard work is not enough, you know? why did those people move me so much to where they changed my behavior do you know how difficult it is to change someone's behavior and what they believe about things i disliked scotch because of the peaty earthy flavors you know and everything i just didn't like it now that i understood this guy helped me understand why that was important for and and why that is so distinctive for the scotch whiskey and how each bottle is like artwork you know, it's art in a bottle, as he said. He totally changed my mind, and he moved me. I was so excited, you know, especially to share this with my friend who I was buying the Scotch for. And he already knew, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he was not just a liquor store stalker like I was, you know. And that's why he got the appreciation that that you know that I get that I get from my clients now. The other guy that I met who taught me about the IPAs. He was not just stocking beer like I was, sitting in the cooler just with a bad attitude, like just getting through the days, you know, just making sure all the the beer bottles and the beer cases are stocked. You know, and I did a good job. I made sure all the labels were facing forward and all that stuff, but still, you know, like I wasn't doing it because I had a passion for beer. This guy obviously had a passion for beer. He knew a lot about the craft beers, he knew about lagers, he knew about uh, pale ales, you know, all of that stuff. So, that's why he got the appreciation that I get from my clients now. Because he loved what he was doing. You know? And so that's why I feel like hard work is not enough. You have to love the work that you do. You have to love the process. You have to love every part of it. Because if you don't, and you're just doing it for the money... It's unfulfilling work, it's unfulfilling even when you get the paycheck and you almost feel trapped because at a certain point you'll level up and you'll, you'll reach a certain level of seniority in your, in your organization, whatever, whatever work that you're doing, whatever company you're working for. You stay there long enough and you start to reach a level of pay and, and as your income increases, your lifestyle increases to match and then you get to a point where it's, it feels almost impossible to get out of it and find another, you know, to actually start over in a career that you will actually love, you know, that it's like starting over and you can't at some point because your lifestyle, the, the amount of income that you need to sustain your lifestyle is, is no longer reasonable to jump ship, you know, and try something different and start all over. So... You know, but even if you are in a situation like that, still, it's. I, I think it's better to lose the house, it's better to go in debt, to find work that you actually love, right? Something that will actually bring you fulfillment and joy. It's better to do that and then and then work your way back up to that level of lifestyle again. It's better to do that than to stay in a job that's eating away your soul. Because like Les Brown says, most heart attacks... Occur on Monday morning, between the hours of eight and ten a.m. Because people are going to to a job, they're going to work. That's killing them. The stress, the anxiety, the you know the displeasure that they feel. The, they're miserable. They're going to jobs that are making them miserable, and the stress and the anxiety that they're feeling. It's uh, it's just too much sometimes. So. Yeah, I mean, Les Brown jokes and says some of y'all might want to reconsider going into work Monday morning, you know, like, you know, people are literally dying to go to work. And uh, Brian Tracy says that if you are if you're in in a job that is making you miserable, then you need to get out of it the way you would get out of a burning building, because that's what it's doing to your soul. That's what it's doing to your hopes and dreams. It's literally burning it up. And you'll get to a point where you're just a shell. You know, you're like a zombie, just going through the motions. And you never want to get to that point. And so, yeah, I just wanted to share that. And if you are considering dog grooming because you love dogs and you have a creative side that you want to express, and you really think that you're gonna enjoy this work, then of course, I'm, I'm so supportive of that. But the thing is, the questions that the guy was asking on the phone when I was talking to him, he was asking like, "How much do me do you make? How much can groomers make? What is the average income?" And I was just like thinking myself, "Are you are you looking into dog grooming because you feel like it's a it would be a fun way to make money? You know, because that's you're not going to make a lot of money. You know, not not enough to get rich or anything. And in the beginning, you know, you got to eat." a lot of crap in the beginning because you're you're not going to be fast, you're not going to be able to do a lot of dog, you know, get a lot of dogs done in a day because you're still learning, you're still getting used to everything, you know, you're it's you're not going to be very efficient. And so we get paid based on the amount of dogs we're able to groom in a day at most shops. Well, even when I'm even right now as I'm freelancing, you know, I mean, I get paid based on how many dogs I can groom in a day. And so in the beginning, you're not going to be making a lot of money. You're actually going to be making very little money in the beginning for a few years, actually. And then as you start to get better and you start to get your skills increase, you know, and you're able to do more dogs and your haircuts are looking better and you're able to de- de- to deliver a better quality product to your clients, a better, a better, higher level of service, that's when you get paid a little more. And that's when you get to earn a little more, you know, and then it, it keeps increasing as you develop more skills and you sharpen your talents, you know, you sharpen your skills and develop more talents and things like that and learn more, <clears throat> which is why continuing education is always important. But yeah, I was, I kind of talked him out of it and, you know, <clears throat> I was, I was even telling him like, maybe consider pet sitting, you know, because... If you're just doing it for the money, I, don't, I, don't, I personally don't see that it's worth it. <clears throat> the amount of work, the amount of dedication and sweat and having to face the anxiety that comes with the risk of injury. Because you have sharp objects around the dog who's moving their head around because they don't really want you to mess with their head. You're trying to scissor the hair in between their eyes. You know, trim the hair between their eyes or above their eyes to, you know, trim trim that visor so that the hair doesn't hang over their eyes. Or when you're trying to trim around their mouth, their muzzle, to get that nice round shape. And you have scissors around their lips and their tongue that's moving all around. They're not staying still for you, you know. And so you you have to have a very firm understanding of dog behavior. How to communicate with the dog effectively with your body language. These are all skills that we need to have. I I like to say that dog groomers are the mixed martial artists of the grooming industry. We're not vets, but we have to have a firm understanding, a good understanding of a dog's biology and their health. We're not dog trainers or dog behaviorists, but we have to have a good understanding of at least the basics of dog training and dog behavior and how to handle the dogs um, effectively without hurting them or without causing a big fight you know and so and so so we can understand how to get the dog to we can understand how to communicate effectively to the dog what we want and you know understand what gives them an incentive to, to cooperate with us right we have to earn their cooperation and having a good understanding of dog training tactics and strategies and dog training methods dog behavior concepts Having a good understanding of this helps us control the dog during the groom, and have them cooperate with us better, you know, and so, you know, we're we're all of these things, and then we have to do a nice haircut, you know, we're like these creative artists, on top of being a dog trainer, dog behaviorist, slash vet assistant, you know, it's like, we have to have all of this knowledge and skills that we put together in order to become a good groomer, <clears throat> and so... I consider dog groomers as the mixed martial artists of the dog world. Just like a mixed martial artist, um, in order to have a successful career, they have to have a good understanding of uh, wrestling, grappling, you know, jujitsu, you know, striking, kickboxing, boxing. They have to have a, a good understanding of all of these art forms, martial art forms, and put it together, and you know, in a way that they can you know, have a successful career not get hurt in, in, when they when they face their opponent. You can't just be a good wrestler. You, you have to have good striking skills as well. And so just like that, I feel like dog groomers are the mixed martial artists of the dog world. You know, you can't just be good at one thing. You have to be good at all, of, you have to have a good understanding of all of these things. And then your scissor skills that takes a lot of time and a lot of repetition you know a lot of hours on the mat as they say in order to um... do... you know... in order to execute a good skilled haircut and I mean all of this I feel like it was worth it for me even during the times where I was struggling even when I lost my business and I went severely in debt and we had to start over and you know, several times I try to work at different salons, but my methods—the way I, the way I approach the groom—you know, taking time to build rapport with the dog and giving them breaks, and you know, just working with the dog and, and actually taking the time to comb them out properly and clear out the skin—all um, of these things—it just—it just doesn't work in a salon environment where qual- quality is not really. You know, quantity trumps quality, you know, like they they just, they want to get through as many dogs as possible and they want to groom the dog as quickly as possible. I don't agree with that and my, my style of grooming doesn't match that. And so even when I was having a hard time, you know, finding employment, keeping a job for long, even when I was working at a different, you know, salons. I wouldn't be earning as much as the other other groomers because they were much faster than me. You know, I was taking my time with every dog and you know, going going over the finished haircut with, with these thinners and blenders, just making sure everything looks smooth. Because I wanted to be proud, really proud of the work that I put out. Every single dog I wanted to feel proud of. And so yeah, I wasn't earning a lot of money, not as much as the groomers that I was working with but for me because I loved it so much I loved the process I loved the work and the artwork that I was creating because of that I believe that's what helped create what I have now you know and the loyal clientele I have now and you know the rewarding work but it's you have to love the process you know it it has you have to love all of it you have to love the times where it's hard and difficult. and I think it's really about finding that thing that you really love to do. It's so important. Steve Jobs even said it. He was saying, you know, you have to really love what you do because even when you love what you do, there's going to be times where it's really difficult and really challenging. But your love for your, your passion for your work is what's going to pull you through those difficult times. Gary V said it even better to this one guy who asked a question, the guy goes, so I guess I just have to get used to eating, you know, shit sandwiches, and um, Gary says, no, you need to find a sandwich that doesn't taste like shit, (laughs) I love his answer, you know, it's like the guy was saying, okay, so I just have to be willing to grind it out and do, and just do work that I hate, you know, and just keep doing it, you know, like, I gotta get used to eating shit sandwiches. And Gary's answer was, no, you gotta find a sandwich that doesn't taste like shit, you know? You gotta find work that doesn't feel like a grind. Even when it is a grind, it doesn't feel that way to you because you love what you're doing so much. And even the challenging days, you're looking at them as learning opportunities, you know? Ways to grow and challenge yourself and find other ways and new ways to do what what it is you're doing. Be innovative. You know, so I just wanted to share this, uh, man, wow, it's a pretty long rant, <laughs> but because I, I just I see it a lot with newer groomers, um people who want who want to talk to me about you know getting into grooming, they're asking the wrong questions, they're asking how much they can make, how fast they can become a groomer. It's not about how fast you can become a groomer or how fast you can groom the dogs or how much money you can you're gonna make it's about. Is this something that you feel you can love doing? Because if it's not, if you're just doing it because you feel like this is a cool or fun way to make money, uh, you're not going to last very long. Because I see that too. A lot of groomers throw in the towel. You know, a lot of groomers hang up their grooming gloves, metaphorically speaking. You know, they hang them up early in their career. After about three, four, or five years. You know, one, one groomer actually told me that she believes that the, the average life cycle, lifespan of a groomer is about three, four years. You know, after that, most groomers quit because it's not just playing with dogs, it's not just having fun with the puppy and, you know, like loving on dogs all day long. No, especially if you love dogs like I do, it's particularly challenging because you're doing everything the dog hates. You know, some dogs hate having their nails clipped. Well, a lot of dogs do actually. They hate having their nails clipped and filed. Hey, guess what? That's what you're doing all day long. You know, they hate having their, you know, rear end, especially their rear end. A lot of dogs are sensitive about that. They'll turn and snap at you when you mess with their tail or their rear end. And guess what? You're doing that all day long. You know, some people, some dogs don't like to have their leg, you know, lifted or being lifted up. You're doing that all day long. Especially get to their sanitary area or their belly. You know, some dogs don't like to have their face messed with, you know, and guess what? How are you going to trim the hair or clean their ears, you know? So we're doing all of these things that causes dogs to react in a negative way and, you know, sometimes you feel like a big bully, sometimes you feel like a meanie because you have to get it done. It's, for the, it's in their best interest. It's for their health. You know, you got to get their ears cleaned or clean up around their mouth or in between their eyes. Or their rear end, you know, or their nails. You gotta do all this stuff that, that's, they, they're telling you very clearly, obviously they don't like, and they will bite you sometimes. <clears throat> and you're doing this every day. And then the clients don't really understand, you know, the customers don't really understand how difficult it is to go through all of that, how mentally draining, emotionally draining this is, especially for a pet lover, for dog lovers. Um, and so then, you know, you get those questions that, That hurts your feeling, but they don't mean to hurt your feelings. But they're like, well, why did it take so long? Or how how why why why, you know why does it cost so much? You know things like that. And you're just thinking, like what really? Do you know? Do you have any idea what I just went through? You know? And so this wears on a lot of people, especially the people who are getting into it because they just think it's a fun way to make money. You know, it's not. (laughs) And you have to really love. What you're doing, you have to really have love for the game. Here's another example I like to give. I love watching the UFC and mixed martial arts. You know, I love to see two martial artists um, display their skills and challenge one another and see who the better martial artist is. I don't like violence. I it actually makes me uncomfortable, especially when people you know confrontation makes me uncomfortable. And it's, it's, I've been at a bar one time where fight broke out. I got extremely uncomfortable, and I got out of there as quickly as possible. So I don't, it's not that I enjoy violence, but I'm fascinated by how fascinated I am watching Miss Martial Arts. And I think it's because to see two people test themselves, challenge themselves to the ultimate level, and they can show respect for each other and hug it out even after they're done, it just fascinates me. And also I, I got into watching it. I, I developed an interest of watching it because I was bullied as a kid and I wanted to learn how to defend myself. So anyways, um, even though I'm fascinated by it and I know that the, some of these fighters make millions of dollars, if I, if I started if I decided that I'm gonna become a mixed martial artist and I'm gonna try to join the UFC you know to fight to make money, I know I would get seriously hurt. I know I would regret it because I don't actually love it. You know, I don't actually love confrontation and physical violence and you know, all of that and getting hit and punched I actually quit Taekwondo because of that uh, my, my instructor, I complained about how this kid was hitting me too hard and kicking me so hard while we were sparring And I lost my temper and he was like, you have to train your mind, you have to you have to train yourself to love it You know, like tell every time you get hit, tell yourself you love it and make, you know, like get excited, not mad And I was like, yeah, no, this ain't for me, <laughs> you know, I quit, but anyways um, what, some of the fights, when you see these guys get battered and bruised and just continue to go at it and just pour everything they have in there, blood, sweat, tears, all in there. I mean, it's because they love it. It's because they love what they're doing. And there's no quit in them. And I love seeing that because I know for a fact, if it was me in that cage, in that octagon, and one of those beasts, those monsters, ran over to me and kicked me in my head or punched me in my face, I might die. I might go into shock and die. Literally, I would pee my pants, maybe even crap myself, and I would probably die or maybe go into a coma, you know? I would be in the ICU, you know, like, I would be done, you know? Forget it. I'm, I'm toast. Because I don't really love it, you know, and I would be scared and the fear itself and the, and the shock that I would feel, you know, when somebody kicks me in my head full force and those monsters train every day to, you know, beat somebody's head into the ground, I mean, I would die. I think I would literally die, not just the fear, but the shock of it even, you know, like, and I'm scared and I'm don't, I don't really want this. Um, I'm just there for a paycheck. I would die, you know. But the same, the same blows that would kill me, these guys take it and they continue fighting because they love the game. They're in love with the game. And that's how I feel with dog grooming. You know, the same dog that would cause another groomer that's just in it for the paycheck, that's just in it for how much money they can make off this dog, that same dog that would cause that groomer an extreme level of frustration and stress and maybe even anger, And um, several of those dogs in a row, several months in a row, years in a row, would cause that groomer to quit and give up grooming. Those same dogs actually excite me. They, they, They make me even more passionate and more energetic and more, like, I guess more excited about the work that I do because I feel like wow I'm overcoming these challenges and I love this I love the feeling of being able to get this guide this dog through this grooming process that he hates and he doesn't like and has always had a bad experience I get to be the guy that changes all that for this dog and after several after several visits with me this dog the same dog that used to be very you know violent and aggressive is now very cooperative and even gives me kisses, you know, and they now like the grooming process, you know, because, because the relationship that I built with them, and I love that, and I love the fact that, you know, the, the trust is not transferable. I cannot just tell someone else, like, hey, you take over, you know, because that's, that dog would now start biting and, and, you know, acting a fool with this new person because they don't really know that person, you know? For me, there is no, money is not the end game. For me, I'm not creating this business, June the Groomer, to sell it. You know, I have no exit strategy. There's no exit plan. My exit plan is actually to start a school later on when I'm ready to uh, retire and hang up my grooming gloves, so to speak, you know. Um, Then I'm going to start teaching maybe in about 10 years from now, 15 years from now. You know, I got at least a good 15 years in me to continue doing what I'm doing because I love it and the thing is I could I could call my business something different so that it doesn't have to be me and I can I can sell it but why I I don't I don't ever have plans to sell my client list and turn them over to somebody else because these are relationships that I built these are unique relationships and trust that I've earned over the years I can't just transfer that trust to somebody else and I would feel bad at selling it to somebody else so that's why it's June the groomer and when I'm done there will be no more June the Groomer here in Atlanta unless someone else named June decides to (laughs) start their own business called June the Groomer. But other than that, once I'm done, that's it. There's no, there's not going to be another June the Groomer and I'm not, there's nothing to sell in the end, you know? So for me, it's honestly the love of the game. I love what I do with a passion and every single day, The work that I do lifts me out of the most difficult situations. Sometimes when I'm in such a low place emotionally and I'm struggling with thoughts of depression and sadness because of the things that are happening in my life, in my personal life. The work that I do, the love and the rewarding feeling that I get each day when I groom my dogs for my clients, that literally turns everything around for me. And so if i can encourage anybody who's listening to this find something like that for you it doesn't have to be dog grooming like me but something you can even be working at a liquor store selling beer but like that guy that was so in love with and so interested in his work that he literally changed my mind about ipas now that's all i'll ever drink well i still liked uh, the sam adams boston lager because i love the flavor but anyways uh, for me, it's Sam Adams Boston Lager or IPA's. That's it. And he was the one that changed my behavior because of the passion he had for beer. So it could be anything. It could be any, you, any, whatever line of work you choose. Just make sure you're in love with it. Because then the money doesn't even matter. And it's always going to be rewarding. And it's always going to be fulfilling. I hope this helps. And I honor the light in you that's also in me. Namaste.